Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon's Thunder Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. Nice to be in August, my birthday month. Yes, it is a big birthday month because we are also introducing Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Oh, ho, nice to be in August, my birthday month. Yeah, I'm, I'm a November baby, so I'll sit out this film fight club. I won't sit out this film fight club. <laughs> You're a Scorpio. No oh, lie. No, oh, I am lie to all of our listeners blatantly. You would never sit out a fight club. Be real. No, and you also told them I was a Scorpio. How dare you? Not that random alignment to the stars matters, but I'm a Sagittarius. Thank you. Uh, now, good, all right. No wonder we are friends. I was like, oh, that would be friends with the Scorpio. I live with the Scorpio. My brother is Scorpio. We're not friends at all. And this is the last Something coverage that Film Fight Club will ever give to family. So, um, <laughs> unless it comes up in a relevant film, I have no issue with astrology. Um, just, it's not our forte. Our forte is film because we are talking the Melbourne International Film Festival. It is in its first week. It is streaming online. And we're talking four films that we saw and that you can access online around the country right now, which are freshman year, which is from the Orient, excuse me, what we do when we look at the sky and the girl and the spider films from all over the world. We're covering America, Georgia, Germany, and Japan. It's a very, uh, very distinct movies and all good, which we're looking forward to talking about. And uh, indeed they are. And all of them are streaming as part of Myth Play, which was meant to be the online component of this year's Melbourne International Film Festival. But this morning we received some dramatic news. Yes, the Melbourne International Film Festival um, foreshadowed last week that they're going to be we're going to make a new announcement. They made it this morning that the planned component of the festival that was going to run in person from the 15th to 22nd of August is now about happening. So the entirety of the festival is running online. Significantly, MIF was first supposed to run for a week in person, a week online. That was flipped in light of the outbreak. And now, um, given the current prevailing circumstances, they are only running online, except in regional Victoria, where they are running some screenings. However, significantly for the first time we anyone around Australia can watch any myth play films there are over 100 titles including a number of new ones that have been added up until August 22nd uh, we missed myth last year we love myth it's actually a real pleasure just to be able to involve ourselves with the festival I did a co-watch last night with Static Vision it was for what we do when we look at the sky it was nice just to know that other people around the country friends watching at the same time and there's as we discussed this I think there's a real sense of community that myth have been fortuitous and prescient in knowing that there was demand for this they have pursued it and i think they're going it's going to see them well into the future not just for their core melbourne and now regional victorian audience but an audience that they have to their great credit engendered around the country mm. and uh this is a good good get do you think what we do when we look at this guy it's a good film yeah but before we move on to the film, there's a question I want to ask, and this is just playing devil's advocate. Do we know what's happened now with, with Myth? It's cancelled. I know, but but will Sydney can uh, reconsider their options and would want to go a hybrid model with something online, something in person, or are they going to stick to their guns and say we're just going to have an in-person festival in November? I think the in-person is such a major part of their strategy that they don't want to run an online without a in-person and i think it makes sense if they're going to be running at the same time as MIF. Um, it's just stealing money away from MIF, and really the film festivals uh, are all in it together at the moment well i there was an announcement from city film festival i saw the email i thought oh this could be a, a such an announcement as referred to but no it was just foreshadowing of the 
in-person program. program to run in November. Um, I wrote a piece up on festivals at Falcon Screen this past couple of days talking about just the position a lot of festivals are in. And for me, it comes down to any festival, it comes down to two things you have to consider going online. One is the type of feature or film entity you're screening endemic to a cinema experience. Certainly this is the case for something like Cinema Reborn or the Silent Film Festival, which I've postponed. And is there a sense of community which involves an immediate online component rather than waiting for an in-person event and an indeterminate date? Um, I take the view as MIF have done that a festival like MIF, and I'll include Sydney Film Festival in this, that there is a more immediate um, demand and that therefore there is a compulsion among both of those festivals, but first among the audience to see a festival like SFF, like MIF in person now. I think MIF are wise in making that calculation and putting the infrastructure in place to run in person, to run online, excuse me, and run entirely online if necessary, as it appears is necessary as per today's news. And I think Sydney, as elaborated in the article, I think a little bit as we discussed last week, have made a major miscalculation in this regard. I regret that there has not been a hybrid, a more immediate hybrid or entirely online offering. And I'm not sure what's going to come in November. And as Virat alluded to last week, even if they run an in-person festival, fully in-person in November, there's going to be a lot of people who couldn't otherwise or won't otherwise be willing to participate, which I think is a major drawback for a core and any future Sydney Film Festival crowd. Well, yeah, with the way things are going, November seems like it may very, very well be too soon, as in it's too expensive to ensure an event of that size as we potentially have immediately come out of lockdown. Um, that's if we've come out of lockdown at that point. Um, regarding what you were saying before, Glenn, I agree that it would have been much wiser to develop an online component. Um, but the one mitigating factor, um, as I said before, is that they're running at the same time as MIF. So uh, if they were going to run an online festival, um, I feel like it, it wouldn't make sense in this time frame, despite this being when SFF was originally meant to be held. Um, you know, maybe if it were in September or something, but I can understand why they didn't um, put more effort into developing the online component once they realized they were pretty much running parallel with MIF. But I think that was in itself a miscalculation. I mean, my reading is that the only reason they went at the same time as MIF is in order to get the Berlinale and Khan, the major titles. I know this is a major talk of the festival, but it's, I mean, the major lifeblood of SFF isn't the few titles, it's the many, the plethora of filmmakers that typically make up any Sydney film festival. And I wish that had been the priority rather than apparently a few titles they could have otherwise have got if they hadn't, del hadn't delayed. I, I actually think it has a lot to do with the vaccine rollout schedule um, and that we all thought way more people would be vaccinated by August based on the roadmaps that we'd heard at the beginning of the year when SFF made the decision because um, Vivid also pushed into August and they're not contingent on Khan or anything. So I wonder if New South Wales uh, decided behind the scenes, August is around the time that we feel like we'll be able to hold large scale events again. And it just didn't turn out. Um, I agree that would have been a factor. However, I would distinguish something like Vivid from City Film Festival, where the form is such that you can deliver, and Vivid is more necessary, is, is significantly more necessary, like the City Fringe Festival, I would argue, which is also postponed on an in person rather than any form of an online offering. Yeah. I mean, but I was thinking now that they postponed it in November, they still have time to consider an online option if they did want to. But the fact that they haven't, means that now sticking to their guns, which is, you know, fine, it is what it is. They might be considering more behind the scenes now. Um, we don't know. 
but uh, I wonder if the November date is the only one they can do. I hope that there are later dates available to them and it's not just now or never come November. I'm so too. So we'll be bringing more coverage of what Sydney do in the coming mm -hmm. weeks, but for the moment, it's the Melbourne International Film Festival. Um, some of the new titles that have been announced brings it to about 100 um, Writers of Justice, which I'm watching later today. We'll be covering some of these next week. Um, Night of the King's uh, Senegalese film, which looks fantastic. Dear Comrades, a film we've been discussing off air. We've been keen to see um, Sun Children, um, also watching The Night, Wife of a Spy, Gaza Monomore, Celts, Ballad of a White Cow. There's quite a bit of good stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm really keen also to watch Days, uh, which is not a new edition, was there already. Um, that showed earlier this year in a one-off screening organized by the Taiwanese Film Festival in conjunction with Mardi Gras Film Festival that I and a bunch of other Chai fans I know, Chai Ming Liang, the director, um, did not know was on. So it's nice to be given another chance to catch that in Australia. There's, um, there's a new Lab Diaz, which is uh, the yeah. shortest Lab Diaz that I know so far. What, five two hours? hours. No, two, two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. It's, it's pretty short. As, it's only pretty... as long as one of the films we're covering today. I also yeah. appreciate the addition of the Wells Hopper documentary. Yes, that was new. That's, keen, that's great. Yeah. In the new editions. I'm keen to see that, actually. Yeah, that's that. There is also Gia Zhangke's first film, Pickpocket. Pickpocket, yeah. Never seen yeah. it. I haven't I seen that either. From platform onward. So before, just briefly before we get into the, the myth flex we're covering this week, um, some other festivals that are streaming online, which you can catch around the country, um, the West End Film Festival pivoted in a very quick succession. They went online only one day after they were intended to start in person. So that will be screening shorts online until the 31st of August. The Indian Film Festival in Melbourne starts streaming tomorrow until the 30th of August. And Capricorn Film Festival are running V-Fest which is streaming online from the 13th to the 15th of August over this weekend and catch more details of all of those and other festivals online and in person around the country up at Festivators. So um, you're listening to Film Fight Club and 2SER with Glenn Fountain and Chris Evans and Bharat Nehru. The first film we're talking about is an American film, Freshman Year. It is uh, directed, written by and starring Cooper Rafe. It is about a freshman, which for, you know, for Australians means an 18-year-old entering college. He experiences whirlwind college. Uh, a lot of the film is a slice of life approach. Um, much of the action we see takes place over the course of um, roughly a day. And I quite liked this film. I did too, but to clear up some confusion from the start, this film is known on IMDb and in all the press coverage from the US as Shithouse. Wait, I'm what? not sure. The movie yeah, is no, called. Shit, yeah, I was confused initially. Freshman yeah. year is a much better title. Yeah. Well, freshman year is more fitting. Um, Shithouse is let's market it as the trash comedy that it isn't. But it's not. It's not, Yeah, that title is not. Uh, yeah, but um, I think it's probably something that they've jumped on for marketing reasons, and Miff is sticking by the actual title um, because you know Shithouse is splashed all over these uh, trashy-looking posters that I've seen, and the title that comes up in this movie is so like basic font in, in Final Cut Pro. <laughs> it's like, this is a homemade Isn't the film. trashy um, American Pie two and a half movie but, that Shithouse implies. But right from the start with that title thing, you feel like this is a competently made micro budget. Um, yeah. And it has the feeling that micro budgets often have of being like really, really good amateur theater. 
and which can, when I say I'm not meaning that in a negative sense or meaning to condescend, yeah. a really, really good amateur theater is really, really good. Um, but you don't usually see that on the cinema stage, but credit to this guy, he went out there and made it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of films that get made like this every week. It's people who are making what they know in their natural in their environment that they have access, immediate access to. This is far better than most of them. I. Really... It's a bit rough around the edges yeah. as um, a work from a, a total beginner who's only 22 years old. Um, yeah. This is know, what uh, we expect it to be, but it shows huge promise and is, for the most part, the the flaws sort of add to the charm. If anything, reminded me a lot of uh, everybody wants some. Me too, actually. Yeah, in a, in, in ways, in in, it's ways. in that hangout movie, I thought of Richard Linklater and that let, let's hang out and get to know the characters slowly kind of yeah. vibe. Yeah, of course, the before movies are the other comparison. Yeah. Well, for once, I guess uh, the blurb got it right. So, because usually the blurb is such far fetched, and you're like, ah, this is nothing like what the blurb said. The movie is going to be bad. I think a lot of this just comes down to Rafe. He's just a charming, competent, funny actor. Mm. I think he's not matched by his the co-lead. I don't think she's quite working on the levels that he is. I, I don't know. To me, they're a bit of a strange mix. Like, I would say that she's probably, she's got the more standard performance, maybe the more boring performance, but also the better performance. I think he's got the problem that a lot of, a lot of, you know, first time, actor, first time directors, I'm the star of my movie that I wrote thing where they they can capture something, but they can't carry the whole range of emotions that they're asked to show throughout the film. Whereas I think she has more technical proficiency to do that, even if she doesn't maybe have the, the special something that means you forgive it all in his performance. Like that easy charm. He has a particular charisma, which yeah. really comes across. And there's actually a great dynamic with him and he's mother and sister who they only interact with over the phone and mm. that was actually the best thing for me there's a scene later in the film uh directly between the mother and him which is even though it's played out over the phone is my favorite it's one of those you don't it's a good scene yeah it's a good scene you don't think you think that the revelation that someone's in an experience in college is going to be in relation to a friend or a girlfriend but um the really emotional core of this film is between them and it comes from really emphatic really unexpected speech for the mom that i haven't really seen play out in other cinema and I really and that's the thing that will I will remember this film for that particular sequence yeah you're right it's an original take on the college movie in that regard yeah. and one that I is, would say is extremely true to a lot of people's life Absolutely. a lot of people are the awkward person with not many friends at university and for a lot of but, people but the transition is really about moving away from your home and your parents right like, but generally you have this usual dynamic where it's the mom and the daughter and the dad and the son, right? Mm. And I think I'm, it was nice to flip that around where the main dynamic was between, between the sister and the mom and the son, which is, you know, also very important, but I don't get to see that dynamic represented on screen at all. It's always mm. been, the son is always, the, you know, hanging out with a cool dad. It's the Ethan Hawke character who comes around, plays Cool cash. friends. You know, cool friends. It's all the male I mean, bonding that happens. How funny is the, uh, the roommate in this? Oh, he's great. Ter the terrible, terrible roommate <laughs> who thinks he's the best thing to ever happen. Um, the, the, no, this movie, I think, feels really real. Yeah. Even that roommate feels way more real than the types we're used to seeing in place of that, that character. Yeah, yeah, we know that guy. Yeah. Um, this movie's conversations... not trying too hard, which is which is a great thing. It it's knows where it's at. Mm. It's not pitching for a level that it's not. Yeah. It feels inauthentic. Yeah. The, the conversations between the male and female lead feel very true to life in the way that they flow um but I'd it, it all that, feels real 
I'd extend that to you don't often see this in film. Usually, writers are good at writing character one on one on one characters or groups of characters, but Rafe is good at writing both. Uh, some of my favorite scenes are actually as reference to family dynamics with two or three or more people. Um, one of the funniest scenes in the film is at a frat party, a really awkward scene in the kitchen that plays out between three characters. Again, very true to life. Everyone has seen this and just crumble on the inside at this sort of an encounter. And I liked um, the scene, not just you referenced the scenes with the, with the female co-lead, but the scenes where they're hanging out with her immediate circle yeah. um, are also really well staged uh, for me. Yeah, there's a, there's a real skill at handling characters. Um, this is a huge debut. Usually when something like this comes around, the director either fizzles out and makes another movie four years later and they're done, or this is the start of a really big career. And I think it's possibly that this guy has... Yeah definitely the ability to cross over with um, the authenticity he's hitting at. Absolutely. I think he does definitely has the skill to write because he's written a great ensemble piece. Usually, he's handled the acting well. He's yeah. as a director as well, he convinces. Because usually when you write the side characters or the minor characters, essentially in these kind of films, it's always the leads that are more fleshed out. But here, I think even the mm. friendships and the dynamics between other you know, smaller actors or people who don't have that much screen time, felt authentic and also the conversations felt like they were really lived in, which was surprising for me. I think this was, out of the four films, this one the one that surprised me the most, how much I liked it. Absolutely. Um, I do have to feel, I feel like I do have to give one criticism though. I like the approach, the everybody wants some Linklater-esque slice of life, but the film is also going for, we want to have this huge revelatory moment. We're dealing with an 18 year old and we're dealing with a very, the night, space of time so whenever you have this sort of arc it's often either very it can be very shoot in in this sort of environment i think Linklater, in his approach knows that these characters aren't going for any major revelation but a minor one thereof you can't have it both film, ways this film wants it both ways and there's a very jarring tonal switch at the towards the end of the film yeah in terms of the timeline where it, it enables it to do that. And I feel for me, that was at the expense of the narrative integrity. I liked, I, I think the film could have gone for one or the other. I think it should have gone for the slice of life. I'm, I think it actually- That's where it's strengthened. It's sought to go for both. Yeah. Um, it, it's overshooting the mark, but uh, you can't fault someone for yeah. having too much ambition. I, I mean, I was willing to give that a pass, given that look, the budget, the, the constraints of the film, it still surprised me with how much it did right than it, what it did wrong. I also, mean, technically, technically, if you're a micro budget like this, cinematography is really good. Blocking is precise. They they know when they want a, a scene to go out in long shots and when they want it to go in close ups. Um, These are things that like Marvel films don't enough. get right. So I mean, for that, I mean, <laughs> for that, I mean, this is major props. So. Honestly, to me, this is better cinematography than yeah, you see in the average MCU oh, movie. It's, it's, it's pointing a camera at natural light. I appreciate that in of itself. Yes, it yeah. is better cinematography. Exactly. The, the, obvi that obviously requires, what you see in the Marvel movies requires a lot more years of training and skill to do. I'm not saying it is better in the technical sense, but artistically, this looks better, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. No question. That is freshman year. It is now streaming on Myth Play. The next film we're talking about in Film Fight Club is The Girl and the Spider. It is a German film by Ramon and Silva Zercher. Um, broadly speaking, it is about a woman adjusting to a new life, a new environment. Um, it's very ethereal. It's not so much plot as it is overwhelmingly character-driven, I would say. This movie is exceedingly German. 
This might be the most German film I've ever seen. On that, and I really, it really struck me watching but this. But it's Swiss? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, def it's definitely German. Ich verstehe. It's, it now, is German, yeah. I, I, I made me realize I watch a lot of German films, but the majority of the German films I watch are political thrillers, drama, action, historical thrillers. Uh, you've missed out on the fine world of the German art film. Oh my I God. Have, but <laughs> you know what, what this means is that for once I'm watching a film which is contemporaneously set with normal people talking just regularly. So I actually could understand a, a decent amount of this, which I appreciate. Like it's not often I can go into a, a non-English language film and just not have to look at the subtitles to, to really get what's going on, which was nice. I'm going to watch more German art films. I clearly <laughs> have been missing out. Chris, do, you very... remember, do you remember that film, uh, was it a couple of years ago called One Day? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this was that, except the day felt longer. Now, to me, this was better than <laughs> One Day because One Day rarely was anything other than generic. Well, this was, you know, this is extremely intellectualized and removed, and that won't be everyone's bag. Usually, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's a good thing. It's too intellectualized. I feel. I don't think. It I think it is. As, a, um, anyway, as as well. Um, did you see? Or have you seen any of Angela Schellnach's films? No. Yes. Yeah. Did you, the Static Vision released one of uh, hers in the past? recently um her last one and yeah. uh you know this is very in line with that sort of new german art film style well starting um, we're just gonna pick this instead of what we do when we look at the sky anyway but anyway that's a could have been interchangeable might have been well, not interchangeable but i think this is a film very much along the lines look i it's a like, definitely a static vision film yeah. Um, the, but, the, the light fantastic elements my favorite just that it was so low-key in how they're introduced there were just those little nice touches that i really enjoyed i think the the form of this film is intriguing enough that it carries you through not knowing what's going on yeah um, it's a film where you slowly piece together the plot so characters are intentionally held at that kind of remove um and it's mostly filmed in long shots that are framed what would normally be like a medium close-up but there's a lot of depth into the background um, and at the sides of the frame so you know these characters are sort of shifting in position around these close-ups um, yeah. so there's always the sense of life moving in and around the characters and we're moving in sort of in between uh, the the sort of spiraling patterns the characters are making around this apartment as they do the renovation and and um, seeing people in little private moments um, of generally embarrassment and mortification. I don't know how to describe the film other than that, but you gradually yeah, it, it's very understand hard, all their relation it, to each other. Yeah, through that. It, it's not it's not a film about what happens in the film, so it's very hard to talk about. Yeah, that kind of a, thing. It's a film it, that's more an experience kind of thing. You know, it's hmm. like going, have and, you been taken in by what the characters are going through or not? Yeah. And they are intriguing performances and weird characters, which is enough to create mystery. It's a very good, it's a very good performance-driven film, actually. The performance is great. Yeah. And build, building on that and building on some of the elements we discussed in the last film, too, I think this film really lifts itself when we're dealing with just very normal interactions between one or more characters, between two characters, namely. There's a lot of moments, a lot of moments where it's just individuals being introspective and contemplating. And maybe it's just me because I'm not seeing a lot of people at the moment. None of us are. But I found that irrespective of that, those moments weren't as engaging for me. I think the film nails it when it's just having a very natural play between two persons. But when it's just someone interacting with their environment, it's the writing, the, those moments become 
a lot more repetitive, whereas the moments between individuals um, are, are each of a relatively novel nature. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about something which is not related necessarily to the film, but did impact my experience. This is not a good film to watch when you're in like an extended lockdown. <laughs> yeah, it's a very claustrophobic film. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Anyway, in yeah. any any other mental state, I would have enjoyed it more. It's just that that affected it, me a lot more. It's bleak, you know. It's not completely bleak. There is some playfulness and some light there, but it's a movie mostly of people being various shades of nasty to each other mostly passive aggressively yeah <laughs> long drawn out it just feels like all this all the anxieties of being in lockdown are exacerbated anyway it was a bit too long yeah. it wasn't way too long but it, uh, yeah. it yeah it was a bit too long so that is the girl and the spider it is streaming on myth play you're listening to film fight club on 2scr with Glenn Falcons, thank Chris Evans and Varat Nehru. We're going to be going into the podcast talking about what we do when we look at the sky. But for the moment, we'd like to start on The Witches from the Orient. Very good timing. This was the first film I watched on, uh, the first thing I watched after the Olympics ended. I missed the Olympics dearly. And I thought this was, oh, I can still get a little bit of taste of it because it is a Japanese film by Julian Perrot. And it is about the Japanese women's volleyball team made up of uh, textile workers who rose to uh, a great success as part of their team. This happened some decades ago and it's pieced together from archival footage, modern and historic news footage, uh, contemporaneous interviews with a number of the team and, and animation. Anime. <laughs> yeah. Anime. Yeah. Um, did you catch the McEnroe in the Realm of Perfection? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same director. Um, yeah. And similarly to that one, mostly made up of archival footage, some really great music cues um, and too long. Yeah. So a lot of these films, except, except, films except that one was much better this one had no direction i felt this, one this film had out. much less direction than mercury because that one was focused in on the one game and, and the, all the background knowledge to understanding what happens in the game at the end whereas this is trying to tell a more conventional sports film narrative um but it, it's especially focused in on the coach and how harsh his training is um a point that get which um is expressed nicely in a visual idea with some um, contemporaneous footage of the team and then an anime inspired by their efforts mixed in with the interviews, yeah. um, which is not, and it's a nice idea visually, but it gets repeated about two or three times in the film and each time it's too long. And at a hundred minutes, this feels really padded out. Yeah, that, that, that actually, that focus actually didn't bother me because it does it's an interesting that, focus. Yeah, in I agree. It does something in the real perfection does, and not a lot of sports films do, that it actually focuses on the technical craft of sports and training rather than an aspirational ideal or a broader theme. I liked it for that. Mm. The problem for me comes down to the fact that this film wanted to do a lot of different things. One of the things we haven't mentioned is the very fascinating, to me, the most interesting, one of the most interesting, actually, I'll say the most interesting thing about the film was the focus on post-war Japan, the density of the team, and how that played into the national psyche at the time. It's, um, they, they talked about the immediate fallout from the dropping of the atomic bomb, uh, the anniversary of which just occurred. We, it's fascinating material, and I could have watched a whole film on that. I could have watched a whole film focused on one game. I could have focused, watched a whole film focused on the interviews. I could have watched a whole film focused on the move from their work to uh, volleyball glory, but it wanted to be each of these things, and I wish it had been more centered in that regard. When I criticized the the, um, the scenes showing the coach's training, it wasn't the focus on the coach. It was, uh, which I agree is interesting. 
it's the way that that's protracted and dragged out. And there's a problem of emphasis throughout the film, I think, where things go on too long. Things go on longer yeah. than they should. And then certain things, um, as you say, are, are totally underexplored. I mean, uh, this film is more to say, and yet it's, it's padded out. It's very strange. It never adds up to more than some of its parts. There are parts which are interesting. And as parts, they're very interesting, but they're not basically adding up to a narrative either, But and they could be a separate documentary in themselves. Basically. Yeah, it's still an entertaining documentary, and I think every aspect of the story is interesting. I just don't see the vision there in regards to the telling. Yeah. I did, however, appreciate that we can may as well restage these events through anime. Um, they use title cards at different times. The start, they, they, they actually asked, what is the best way to tell the story? And even though they told too much story, they had a good way of imparting it. Yeah, so, like, like McEnroe, um, this film is really thinking about cinema and how we can use the tools of cinema to tell documentary stories, which in an age of endless Netflix documentaries with talking heads um, and flash graphics, is very refreshing. Yeah. The, the formalistic experiment was actually great. I mean, it worked really well. I think. Yeah. I, I loved the anime style intros for the team with the freeze frames. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah, great. Cool. I'm sure, I'm sure the team would have loved it. Yeah. Anime heroes. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice tribute. So that is Witches from the Orient, which is streaming on Myth Play. We're going to go into the podcast talking about what we do when we look at the sky, which is but what do we see when we look at what the do sky? we see? Sorry, what do we, yeah, see what do, we do or what do we see? <laughs> so we do in the shadows when we look at the sky. We'll, we'll be getting <laughs> into that in some detail. Um, but please do uh, have a look at Myth Play and go online. There's a lot of great films. We can't, we'll be back next week talking about more about the Melbourne International Film Festival. The West End Film Festival is streaming now. Capricorn Film Fest is happening this weekend. The Indian Film Festival of Melbourne streams online from tomorrow. Let us know what you want us to fight about and what do you think of these myth films or other myth flicks. This has been Glenn Fallon, and Chris Evans of Rat Nehru. Stay safe. Um, enjoy the Melbourne International Film Festival if you're watching or otherwise. Just enjoy movies. Good night. Welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we're talking Melbourne International Film Festival and what do we see when we look at the sky. It's a Georgian film from Alexandre Kabritsi. It is now streaming on Myth Play. Um, last night I caught a Static Vision co-watch. They are they are the distributor for the film. We've had uh, Felix Hapel and Connor Bateman on the show before. It is a Berlinale Presque Prize winner, and it is about it's a Kafka-esque story. I, I love talking about Kafka, so I'm just going to bring the, bring the Kafka reference immediately. But a couple in Georgia who experience fantastical intrusions on their ability to be together. And it's a long, detailed, observational film about Georgian and Tbilisi society. And it takes place amidst soccer mania. Georgia is a soccer mad country. Everywhere in Europe is a soccer mad country, let's yeah, be honest. Everywhere. Oh, of course. But yeah. Georgia is very, it was nice seeing Georgia on screen and not in F9. Our last film I watched that in Georgia was F9. This is uh, not that. This, uh... Yeah, um, the, the plot of this is totally intriguing in the minimalist way that it's set up. Um, I thought the, the opening segment of this film, um, it, it, it's verging on so kind of whimsical that it um, could become annoying, but it never does for me. Um, but the opening premise setting up of uh, these fantastical visitations to a character as she's walking down the road and uh, the aftermath is so beautifully de depicted visually that it's surprising how little I cared that the movie turns out not really to be much about 
the plot that's being set up there, as Glenn alluded to before, it's much more of a slice of life. Even calling it a slice of life is a little bit misleading because that implies a real focus on character. Whereas this is more a film driven by environmental visuals and the idea of people as part of their environment. Yeah. Um, uh, some allusions to climate change, I think. That's uh, true. Try to make that, that take that connection even, not just allusions, direct fourth wall breaking references. I think try and take that idea even further beyond the bounds of the film um, to questionable success in my eyes. But I still appreciate filmmakers speaking with urgency about the most urgent topic we face. I mean, I mean, the most interesting thing part about this film, and I guess out of the four films that we've watched, is this film is less interested in narrative and it's less the interested least interested in narrative. Yeah, and it's also formal, in, uh, in in basically character as well. So because usually when it's not interested in narrative, it's basically either character or or you know uh, environment driven. This is more basically how people interact within spaces mm. and how we engage with spaces. It's a spatially driven film, which is. I guess visually and more interesting thing to explore. I don't think we have that many films that do that. No, so carrying on that, what I really liked about it is that it asks, it, it, it is very calculated, and I say that in a good way, in how cinema and reflexive watching um, is act within watching, engaging with a yeah. film. I can't stand in Marvel films how meta irony brings you out of this, but, and as another example, just to have a go at Marvel again, but this can't, we can't resist. says, when we have to take audiences out of the film, what are we achieving? Um, we referred earlier to the climate change aspect. I really like the scene where they say, audience, close your eyes for a few minutes, and then you kind of wake up and engage as a character does with the environment around them. Yeah. It would otherwise have just been a very uh, regular and uninspiring transition from to here's the following day but yeah. I actually liked that it brought you a little bit out of it like theater often intentionally does this mm. is a very theatrical film but yeah see a lot of those it's the sort of thing that you see more at festivals and I'm, I'm glad I wish I could see this in a cinema environment but me too it's visually stunning those I think these these visuals really deserve the big screen um, but it's it's interesting because it's theatrical in the sense um, not of being stagey and character driven, but you know, in, in the sense of being very performed and non-naturalistic. But at the same time, same time, there's a very strong sense of naturalism to other aspects of the film. And the blend is pretty seamless, but it's also extremely cinematic and not theatrical at all in the way, as we were talking about before, that it, it's mostly driven by visual associations and character um, because this is mostly filmed in outdoor environments and about the, the crossings and meetings of people. Um, and it, it's mostly holding you to remove from the characters and never following them for too long. And uh, often keep featuring the remove even visually, mostly catching them in the zoom from a distance. Um, characters are mostly defined through rituals and routines. So it more sort of becomes about like the character of the town square where people do follow the same routines and you see people coming through defined by that, like the one action or two or three actions that they that we keep seeing them perform. It's a really interesting film. Yeah. Like the group of kids that keep coming through to ask for the ball and then play with the soccer ball. There's a little bit of a jarring dissonance there. It just comes in when we feel we want to break up um, this regular story. I do like the visual setup of the regular story, but... I feel the soccer scenes, like I've been watching a lot of football lately. Hmm. I, and just particularly after watching um, a lot of sports, I wish there'd been a little bit of a more 
it's here's where this game is here what's happening in the course of this game rather than here's just us session the ball i did it, like the final shot yeah i like the immersion and hear people who are absolutely insanely mad football this was but, just about the culture it wasn't about even the game you know like that would be too much of a narrative focus for the, what this movie is attempting i over just showing how the culture of the area is defined by the sport i think um that's not to say it's 100 successful but i thought that it was pretty damn successful i think I, I, um look i, I feel like it's two different movies at times I don't know. I I, I didn't. The, the, do you mean in terms of the the narrative kind of set up about? The I mean, couple? in terms of the narrative set up with regards to the main two characters, and then these kids and the broader society just engaging um, with boards. It feels like this is sort of this and huge instance and ancillary thing to break up rather than inform the key core story. And I do consider the romance the core story of this film. So I, f- I feel it's deployed at different junctions, different purposes, and I think it sh- would be better to be a more consistent approach, even if it made the film less um, ethereal. Yeah, I-, I disagree because for me, it was such a seamless transition. Um, I sort of got the sense that the movie was never really much about the story and the story doesn't, as the movie points out, the story doesn't even really make sense if you stop to think about it for a bit. It was more just an excuse and a window to open up a bunch of symbols like the flowing water um, and uh, take us along for a ride. You know, I never, outside of the opening, very opening segments of the film, I never really felt any kind of like narrative momentum. I'm saying, okay, that's not quite true. I can see where Glenn is coming from. Hmm. But for me, what happened was like, I was already taken in by the flow and the mood of the film. Yeah, that's what so I, I, I was most. more. I'm more willing to kind of like let the film guide me as it went along because I was already immersed into the experience of what. It's so formally beautiful. Some of the transitions, the the fades in this film, are really stunning. And I agree. And I'm certainly someone who prefers uh, narr- narrative fiction. I'm not the, the say this isn't at all. I feel, however, that in a film which is the length it is, it comes, it clocks in at two and a half hours and sets itself up and grounds itself intentionally with this core narrative i feel there should have been more of a just concise approach to here's where these characters are in the story here is how what is happening more broadly relates to them we're bringing this in times bring brought elements of society are brought in for a symbolic way other times it's brought in just because there needs we need to establish here is the length of time that has elapsed. So I think that latter form, that latter element plays more of a function. And that's an issue for my, I don't have the issue with the plane of function, but should be incidental rather than primary in a film that as before, I think does, is, as ethereal as it is, grounds itself in a very core narrative, which, and which I did really appreciate that we haven't really talked about the great scene with the feet at the beginning. And I, I, I guess um, even though it does ground itself in a narrative at the beginning, it never really tells you who these people are as characters. And even at that point, they seem like they're more kind of archetypical stand-ins than actual people. Like the, the two leads show the least emotion of any character in the film, in their performances. They're the most restrained, I mean, an art film being a, a mannequin kind of performance compared to some like the kids or the, the shopkeepers and stuff, right? Uh, I think that's intentional. Um, I, and because we never got in there and, and deeply empathized with these as individual characters as opposed to types that we can project ourselves onto um 
the transition to it being this more of this free associative exploration of the village um, and surrounds didn't feel so jarring to me. I feel it would have felt jarring for me if the film had been a shorter length. Yeah, for me, it was only a little bit too long, if anything. I, I didn't really find this one too long, which surprised me. I did. did. I found uh, Dylan the Spider longer than this. Like yeah, me more, too. Not not me in too. terms of length, in but terms of perceived how it length. Felt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, for me, there was enough going on in this, um, in terms of vi just visual wonder and um, poetry going on. Um, this, this is probably out of the four. This is the one I would have most wished to see in cinema. It's the best one, I think, easily. Um, there, yeah, there's only a few sequences that I think push the idea too far. Um, but yeah, we're lacking for visual poetry these days. So yeah, I mean, this, this I feel of, like this is really special. This kind of fed that aspect of like my my soul, my you know, yeah, that usually don't get fed. Yeah, we've been miss, missing films like this with no uh, in new releases with no major film festivals. Um, which are the only place that films like this get any play these days. It's but, refreshing to see this. Yeah. And even in this current environment, it's just refreshing and nice. Yeah. It, it, I, honestly, like for this, these actually weren't the films I was planning on watching this week. Uh, one of them was, but then Bharat was like, I'm going to watch this one and this one. Like, okay, what well, I'm going to take, my, as I would for any festival, I'm going to take my friends' recommendations. I'm really glad I did. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I will say um, to criticize it, I'm a bit annoyed that it again come, at times comes down to the story of filmmakers and the wonders of cinema. Um, I feel like filmmakers need to stop beating that drum because these movies are only being watched by the film festival crowd who already agree with that. So it's just kind of onanistic after a while, isn't it? Like we go to the movies to watch, you know, as this movie, you know, 20 years ago, movies were everyone's favorite entertainment pastime, but we've recently realized that people weren't really that into movies. They were just into being entertained and now they have more instant gratification devices. So movie, you know, the movie industry is becoming for connoisseurs in the large part now. And we're making movies for those connoisseurs that tell them that their hobby is great. I, I don't know, it, does, it just it, doesn't it, seem it, healthy. I think it's a stratification. We're talking about a, a, a low budget stuff for yes, that crowd and some others. And then you have the, $100 million mm. films. I miss them. We're going to see, we talked about last week, the mid-budget film is dying. It's really, yeah. really bad. But, you know, I, I appreciate this movie for what it shows me about Georgia, stuff I had no idea about. Um, and uh, don't, isn't it such an amazing travelogue film for, for Georgia and for this oh, area? Yeah. Don't, you, don't you immediately want to go there watching this film? And you yeah. feel like you really know the place in the way that it's been filmed and edited. That's that's beautiful. That That's unique, right? Um, Watching another story about filmmakers futzing with film and why 16 millimeters is better than digital and uh, some allusions to the magic, here's what cinema can do. It's like, yeah, guys, I know that already. You know? yeah, we we, we yeah. didn't see a lot of films set in Georgia. I mean, we had the film at the uh, Queer Screen Film Festival about the first Pride March there. I referred obliquely and jokingly to F9, but in all seriousness, that film, the locations in that film, a lot of big budget stuff is interchangeable. Could have been set in Georgia or yeah, could have yeah. been in Atlanta, Georgia, and it would have mattered. And the, I liked were, that we actually, yes, someone, someone has been to Georgia and would have been probably gone there, but for COVID, I want to see the city. I want, I want it's this country. Yeah, there's a little bit. Tbilisi, excuse me. There's a huge amount of love and humanity in this film. Um, but 
and and love for life and um, the expression of wonder. I think a lot of the movie is about capturing the way the light hits people and play and the way people re react to that, um, recapturing that sense of wonder. I think just just uh, getting back to your point, Chris, uh, about whether or not it's good for filmmakers to make films mm. about movies and the wonder of movies. Look, uh, it's a generational thing as well. I mean, uh, I, I know I come from a generation where, like, there well, there, growing up, there were no trailers, there were no teasers. When I used to go in to watch movies, I used to go in watching them blind. They mm. were still, the magic of movies was like when it started playing, I used to discover a film which isn't the case now anymore when you're just so bombarded with marketing. Mm -hmm. You already know half the film anyway before you go to watch most commercial films. You already know what's this bad. You have seen three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten teasers or trailers, how many much they cut, which tell you pretty much movies are, the story. I remember the magic of the movies as a kid. Like I, it, I agree, it definitely feels different now. I, I think partly because of the way that the culture treats it. Yeah, and um, I say, you look at something like, I'm, Tenet, where Nolan, just because of his clout, was able to keep a lot of the footage and a lot of the key stuff under wraps until the day of release when the marketing material, I saw it on the day of release, thankfully, because the ads mm. the immediate day following were about talking about time and actual dynamics of the plot. Like, what are you doing? Like, save this stuff. People are going to go see it. Remember mm. when it was, and a film I don't like, Hereditary, handle, was one of the rare exceptions to actually handle this well. I'd love if they could go back to this format. I don't think we're going to see it in the immediate the, Stanley Kubrick form of marketing hold it all back but yeah um it is speaking of this idea about loving movies and the appeal to the past it's a deeply nostalgic film in a lot of ways um it's about community and it's about history right and it, it features allusions to the magic of cinema um but ostensibly it's set today right Messi is there um there's some statistics about uh bushfires great so, timing with the messy news yeah i know um very sad but, to watch yeah very sad but um it yeah it seems to be that it's set today but no one looks at their phone in a movie that's mostly set outside in town squares no one is ever ever checking their mobile phone it's that's the thing can um do we have to cling to the to these notions of the past has this filmmaker not been able to fully come to grips with the reality we live in now, as a, a lot of filmmakers struggle to, um, since you know a lot of the, the plots and, and archetypes of film we've grown up with, uh, you know, are reliant on nobody having phones. Well, I think so. It, it's one of those. It just dates film, you know, and it almost feels like a surrender. Like make a movie and say this is today, this is about today, but ignore the the pre the truth of the reality while it, aestheticizing that world. So is this just like a dollhouse of the vanishing Georgia, you know, but projected onto the present? I don't know. I don't think it's deliberate. I honestly think it's just the lack of writing. We don't see, and you see it in terms of most prominently with mystery thrillers, because so many of the ones made today are written by writers who grew up with uh, Murder, She Wrote, and Agatha Christie and all this, where the plot is contingent upon someone not having access to a phone. They could just say, hey, you, FYI, be aware of this and everything falls apart. I think we haven't caught up yet. I think we're going to see a very stark switch soon. A film we're covering next month on a very different tact is He's All That, a uh -huh. She's All That, which is starring TikTok stars. And I guarantee you film and modern communication, at least going off the very extensive marketing material, is going to be very explicit throughout. And even marketing into TikTok users. I look forward to seeing the contrast. But that's just it. I feel like um, 
you know, Netflix shouldn't be out at stripping our art filmmakers. And this is a very good art film. This is, you know, one of the better things I would see at any festival, in my estimation. Um, but I feel I, like a lot of art cinema is also rebelling against technology and the use of technology anyway. I mean, but this is slow cinema. At I don't points. think it's it was not. I, I don't think it was deliberate here. Honestly, I think it was just. This is the sort of thing we're used to seeing and writing. But I know what Bharat means when he says that it's a rebellion, because I, I think about this a lot when I look at um, movies that are, you know, this isn't extremely slow, but it's quite slow at point, you know, the aesthetically. Um, I feel like the the editing for the most part was very precise and just right, but it is on the lengthier side. Um, but to be making that kind of film, which is, you know, this reminded me of a lot of 60s filmmakers um, and it reminded me of Brisson. Um, it, you know, it is not a film of this time <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's, it yeah, follows yeah. some trends of slow cinema, but it's more indebted to previous trends. Um, and it's presenting a artificial version of our reality while, uh, talking up the grandeur of dead formats in film you know like there's just i just keep seeing these things repeated even in the movies i really like in the I feel like, these I mean, days I mean, to it, me it, it just reflects the stagnation and it's unhealthy yeah i i agree i mean there is there is a level of unhealthy nostalgia right mm. where you feel this like, is a wonderful oh, film don't get me wrong yeah, 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 yeah interesting yeah. to think about this stuff i think yeah yeah which is which is i guess a testament to the film that it makes you think about these things which may even go against it Right, because mm -hmm. a lot of films, even though the things they want to think about should be in service of how great the film is, the fact that it makes you think about things that might go against it is also a testament to the film. Well, great. a lot of films don't give you time to think. And yeah, this I mean, film does. There is that. There is that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it, is, it is fine. I mean, uh, the thing is, look, I think we are caught up in a zeitgeist right now where the uh, crop of filmmakers coming up and the ones who are already there from a perspective who want to do something for cinema are harking back to platitudes that they knew what when they were growing up. Well, like I said, I and think it's not the, same the rug's been pulled out of cinema so quickly. We've had a hundred years of dominance of uh, the entertainment world. And then suddenly we found ourselves in a position as a shrinking market. And I, people are clearly struggling to come to terms with that. And I think filmmakers are struggling to find a, a new way forward aesthetically and artistically and narratively. The fact is film, more than almost any other art form, is the one that is slowest to adapt because of the lead in time for mm. any sort of production. So even when filmmakers tack onto this trend, you won't see it for a while. I mean, we talked a little while ago about how it took a while for Hollywood to come on to really make post-Trump movies. I think you can see it in the sort of sphere. I mean, I think Freshman Year, as an instance, is a was a relatively modern film. And that's the sort of thing that would have had a very quick turnover. You could have filmed that over the course of a couple of weeks. Mm. I imagine it may have very well have been. But I, I guarantee you they spent like a year in post-production, as it always is in these kind of micro-budgets. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Credit to them. Yeah. So that is what do we see when we look at the sky? It is now streaming along with Witches from the Orient, um, and a number of other flicks, and we've played The Girl and the Spider and Freshman Year. Many more Writers of Justice, as referenced earlier, um, just got dropped, as did a number of others that will be available from Saturday morning. The Writers of Justice is available now. Uh, please do ha have a look. There's a lot on there. It's nice just to 
watch some films you otherwise wouldn't get to see, uh, particularly with a lot of festivals and cinema screenings general happening at the moment. Um, the West End Film Festival is on, the Indian Film Festival in Melbourne and the Capricorn Film Festival starting in the next couple of days. And yeah, I'm keen for next week. There's a lot of, I'm, I'm, my plan is I'm going to watch one myth film each day. Um, I'm probably, I've probably got about 10 ahead of me. So I'm going to watch one for, yeah, I'm going to watch one a day for the duration of the festival. Nice. Yeah, 10 nice more. Yeah, just a bit of fun. Just, you know, put, put 8.30 at night, put in the movie. They're good movies. As long as you're selective with them. I'm sure there's a few clunkers, but I haven't watched one yet. So. You don't see a lot of African cinema as reach Australia and FNSFF are really good for that. How cool is the premise of the Night of the Kings? The idea of this Arabian Nights, um, you have to tell stories all night, otherwise oh, yeah. have it in this prison. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Mention that pretty soon. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to be more adventurous now that we know that there's only going to be films online, so I'm going to get more. Yeah. And uh, who knows if we're going to have a film festival this year. Full stop. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Underground Film Festival, Sydney Underground Film Festival, has even taken Take 48 online, which is September 3rd to 5th, the third annual short filmmaking comp. Um, though the, the, ben the a benefit of this is stuff, which was originally supposed to run for a few days in mid-September, is now running from the 9th to the 26th of August. So there's much online entirely. There's much more scope to consume a lot of these films. Um, a lot of festivals have spread out their run. The Brisbane Backyard Festival have gone from a weekend to 30 days over the course of October. Uh, it, it's just allowing people to consume more of these films. And otherwise, it's, uh, there's a lot to see. And it means that you can actually maybe see all a, a substantial portion of the Pixar Festival that you otherwise just had to really be picky. And I appreciate in a short time frame focuses the mind. I think there's a balance and equilibrium there that we're going to have to get to. Mm. But I like that there's two weeks of MIF online, at least for us, I'm a Sydney cider, and that I have more time to watch um, something like Suff. Um, I, like Suff is something where I only see a quarter of what I wanted to see for it's four days. And there's so many sessions and so many films. I always have to, I always have to kill my darlings with that festival. It's you now do. 17 yeah. days. I can watch pretty much all the things I want to watch. I have to ask though, um, what's up with the selling fast, right? So they say that some films have a limitation of how many people can watch them. Is that simultaneously or is that just run out full stop, we're done with this film? I understand it's the latter, but I would like to clarify. That. Yeah, because if everything's selling fast, then so much for MIF, if they, if they run an online festival from the 8th to the 22nd and everything is, is gone within the first week and there's no in-person component. I think they need to expand those those limits, renegotiate no the contracts. There's no reason if every person, if every person that's in the country wants to buy a ticket to a particular film, they bloody hell should be able to, and MIF should damn well reap those profits. I don't know. It's probably a licensing thing about yeah, them being a Melbourne it. film festival, but yeah, they they can't have everything sell out when there's no on there's no festival. They can't. You know, it's it's a bad look. No, what's what's selling fast? I'm honestly not everything sure. is selling fast. Oh God. Okay. So there's, so if that, that's what I'm saying. Like if that holds fast, then how much longer are people going to be able to watch these films? All right. I might grab my tickets to Night of Kings and Riders of Justice and Wife of a Spy. Cause those are the ones I'm like super, super keen on. Yeah. I, just so, try to, I try to travel around the world with these festivals, do a different film from each country. I am watching a couple of Japanese films, a couple of German films, a couple of American films and a, a three Iranian films, but still. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, We'll see you guys next week and more myth.
more myth. We're going to be myth week two. Suggest um, myth films. Yeah, we, we've we've suggested a bunch, but if you have a particular one you want us to watch, let us know. We'll watch it because myth. Like we're up for like all most of the films we've watched so far have been recommendations. So that's what you do at a festival. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. We Thanks, shall Dave. be back, much like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator. Yes, yeah. I watched that again. I was on TV recently. I've seen 76 films amidst this lockdown. 70, I'm at 76. You might have the high score. <laughs> like, I'm, um, not, I'm not sure that that's something I want to be boasting about. During the pandemic? Yeah. We got a great, you know, we're recording this uh, prior to the briefing on Wednesday morning. So maybe we'll get a new high score today. Uh, a new yeah. Olympic record. No, I shouldn't well, be making what, light about COVID cases. Um, I think it's tragic. This is gallows humor. Um, yes, we are depressed. Hence why I am watching so many films. Yeah. All new watches, something fresh, something new. A lot of co-watches. It's nice hopefully, to just hopefully I can someone zoom out. in the background and watch a movie together. That's what I've been hopefully doing. I can balance out the bleak films with enough happy ones. That's, that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, watch happy movies. I, I am watching Ballad of Black Cat. It looks pretty bleak, but it looks good. So yeah, this this is not a year. Maybe that is also the reason why, like, the festival films are not really the films I'm gravitating towards right now. I mean, what we do when we what we do what we see when we look at the sky uh-huh. is uh, you've infected me with the virus. Um, but, oh God, it's very um, clear. <laughs> yeah, but it's only gallows humor at the stage of film fucking. Yeah. Um, but uh, that that's a festival art film that is good to watch in the lockdown, though, because it's the wonders of outside and a generally life-affirming message. Yeah. For the most part, international art cinema these days is not that. No. Um, it, is, it is nice. It is nice seeing films that are cathartic in ways, like films yeah. that explore the great. I'm, I'm keen for films that explore the great outdoors environments I can't see right now, um, and just deal with that deal with human interaction. Which why this is why I say, despite my misgivings, that film I liked the elements of the girl and the spider that did. Mm. Yeah, um, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be when it started. Did you have that feeling when the girl and the spider started? Of like, oh no, like it's going to be this like rigid academic art movie. I I didn't. I was. I did not know. I was unbeknownst. Okay, Thank it's you. because you haven't haven't been um, drenched in the waters of the German um, intellectual art movie. Clearly, I need to. I'll, I'll I'd improve <laughs> my German dramatically, but uh, you know, uh, it was it was it was actually just pleasant like I, I we talked about um disobedience a little while ago where which is that only film i've ever watched which has a significant portion in a non-english language where i could understand the entirety of the film which was great and this was not quite there but getting there i was like i, I can kind of get this i get the intonation um i appreciate that so i, I might do that just to improve my german and like delve deluge myself in Art with an E. <laughs> yeah. Like the deluge, the Deutsch. Deutsch, yeah. Deutsch deluge. Uh, I miss the, the German art scene is insane. Um, people, everyone talks about Berlin, but I really like Hamburg and Dresden and Neustadt and um, the inner city area of Hamburg. They have beautiful artist communes. It's pretty insane. There's a reason that all these amazing films come out of there. And, uh, you know, Berlin is so full with artists that they have to go somewhere else. 
Berlin's too much for me. Like yeah. I love it, but it's like New York or London. I can only spend a week there at a time. Sorry, yeah, I, I say that now. <laughs> not, not, not right now. Yeah, well, be a nice place to holiday. Yeah, this uh, is all over. Fred, Frederikstrasse, Kreuzberg, Devon, Georgia. Yeah, Georgia would be great. Yeah. Cool. See you next time, guys. See you next week. Bye-bye. See you next week. <laughs>